we, we talk about a lot of big picture things all the time, but this is the kind of thing that you have to wonder if the ceiling's been reached here at Penn State for James Franklin. Hello and welcome into another episode of The Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, and joining me in person, as always, is Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how you doing as we continue to ignore producer Noah Reif off to my right? Well, I'm doing well, and, um, you know, we already had a striped overalls joke earlier this week, but this time it was a uh, team down in Washington, D.C. that looked like they were wearing the striped overalls just in a horizontal manner yeah, it's, so it's it was gonna unfortunate. be it's gonna be disappointing if if noah doesn't show up to at least one of these recordings wearing striped overalls but then the joke will die no, so that's that's fine every joke okay. deserves to die every once yeah in a while, all right so. i'll maybe maybe once we get video on this podcast that works there all it right. is yeah. when we when we make our video debut noah will wear the overalls beautiful uh, but we have plenty to talk about today uh we will talk with noah later about penn state men's soccer but for the time being Kyle and I are going to discuss Penn State football and the week that was, the week that's coming, and all of that, all of that good stuff. Um, no other place to start than with Ohio State, uh, with what was a game that was closer than I think almost anyone expected. Um, looked like a completely different Penn State team than the one that played against Illinois. Um, your overall impressions from Penn State's game against Ohio State, of course, a 33-24 to loss to the Buckeyes in Columbus. I mean, Sean Clifford looked way more healthy. I mean, I guess James Franklin wasn't joking when he said he looked like he was possibly going to be 100% going into the game. And, I mean, he he looked it. You know, I, I still think at times he had to run for his life because of, you know, the uh, the blocking on Penn State's offensive line at times. Um, but I think they showed up a lot better on the pass – in the pass protection like we've usually seen versus the run blocking. Um that's something that has continued, and I know, um, you know, people have asked Penn State's offensive linemen at nauseum about, you know, just the way that they've been run blocking this season, and that I mean, that game was another unacceptable game from the, uh, you know, from in, in a run blocking standpoint. So, um, you know, I, I just think that that's number one on offense, and then on defense, I think that, you know. Ohio State's offense is outstanding. We just have to keep that in mind. They have a very strong, you know, receiving core. I think that's one of the best, if, if not the best receiving core in the country. Um, you know, C.J. Stroud has a ton of guys to throw to, and, you know, he's no slouch himself. I think earlier on this season, um, a lot of people were wondering if he would get benched for the the freshman that came that came in a little bit earlier, but uh, Ewers. Um, but uh, it just – you know, C.J. Stroud's a very talented guy, and I, I think that you know Ohio State—they just uh, they have more depth, they're a stronger team. They, you know, up front physically, and I, I just think those things played a role in that. But I mean, Penn State—I know it's no moral victories, but they look better, and I think that's that's some momentum that they can take into this game. Yeah, and, and you said it. There are no moral victories, and there's a lot to unpack there, but. But I'll start there. This looked like a different, like I said, a different football team than the one that played against Illinois, right? Like, they looked ready. They looked like they wanted to be there. Uh, their their quarterback looked healthier. Uh, Clifford could throw passes that he wasn't clearly wasn't capable of against Illinois, or at least wouldn't attempt, uh, which is obviously a point of concern and something that got rectified in the, the week between the two games. 
Um, but, but yeah, I think this is sort of who Penn State was in every game this year, except for the Illinois game. And so it seems like that was more of the outlier than the norm. The unfortunate part of that for Penn State is that outlier was a loss to one of the worst teams in the Big Ten, and that just doesn't leave your resume. That is going to stay there. Um, but but I want to I want to talk about the defense here. And you mentioned the the Ohio State wide receivers, Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, and Jackson Smith and Jigba. That's the best trio in the country for my money uh, at wide receiver. And Penn State did a pretty good job against them. Now they, all three of them were still able to uh, get open and catch passes from C.J. Stroud. But that's also a really well designed offense. Um, a lot of choice routes to put the defense in conflict. Quarterback and wide receiver has to be on the same page, which I think is part of the reason uh, that that Stroud took so long to come around. There was some, you know, Kyle McCord played at one point earlier in this year. You mentioned Quinn Ewers. People were calling for his, um, for him to start over Stroud. I think Stroud has clearly run away with this job, and it's, it's his, you know, as long as he's there, right? Like, he's too good to, to bench at this point, which is, you know, uh, not something I think everyone expected early on in the season. Um, but the defense played so well against this Ohio State team. They allowed one score, I believe it was, in the red zone, uh, which is remarkable. They... The, the offense fumbled on its first play of the game, and Penn State, you know, held up uh, and, and didn't allow Ohio State to score. They forced a turnover of their own. But at the end of the day, I, I think the big picture issue here is Penn State's just not talented enough to beat this Ohio State team. I mean, they haven't beat them since 2016, and they're not good enough to do it consistently. They're just good enough to push them year in and year out. And I think that's part of the problem with the program, right? Like, since James Franklin has been here, they've been good enough to compete but not good enough to win. And, you know, we, we talk about a lot of big picture things all the time, but this is the kind of thing that you have to wonder if the ceiling's been reached here at Penn State for James Franklin. Yeah, and I mean, part of that, and I, I think, is just because if we look at facilities around the Big Ten, um, I just don't think, um, you know, Penn State's facilities are up the snuff in, in comparison to some of the other schools in the Big Ten. And I think that hurts them significantly um, you know, you just look down the road in, in Maryland, and Maryland has that new facility, um, you know, at the old site of uh, of Cole Fieldhouse. And that those things, I mean, that really hurts them. I think that puts Penn State at a disadvantage. I mean, recruiting-wise, they've done fine. Um, but I also think that when you have better facilities, um, you know, that motivates guys. You know, and, and I mean, maybe I'm talking out of turn in that situation, but I think if I went to a school that has a, a perfect facility, I'm going to be more motivated to go into the facility, go train, do things along those lines. So I don't I don't know how you feel about that. I think a lot of the facilities talk is sort of the, the bells and whistles to get guys in the building from a recruiting standpoint. And, and I think there's some of what you're saying about like, you know, just you want to spend more time in the building if there's more to do in the building. Like if, if you have like a PlayStation where you can just go in and play there, why, why stay at your apartment, right? Like you can just be in the last building and do all that there. Um, I, I And yes, Penn State needs to improve its facilities if it wants to be on the level of Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State. That being said, like the on-field product still isn't meeting the expectation year in and year out. Or they're they're failing when when, when, when they shouldn't be failing, right? Like... Four of the last five years, I said this last week, four of the last five years, Penn State's first loss has been followed immediately by a second loss. That's inexcusable, right? Like it's, if you're a team that's going to be 1-0 and every week and the end game is going 1-0 and every week, then why is one bleeding into two all the time 
seemingly all the time, all but one year. And that one year it didn't. They lost two of three when they lost to Ohio State, and then they nearly lost, or sorry, they lost to Minnesota. They nearly lost to Indiana, I believe, in a home game, and then they did lose to Minnesota. So, like, this is, we, we hear all the time about 1-0. They're, they're, they're not, they're sort of not backing up the mantra, right? Like, when it matters most, because... That should matter most after you lose to Iowa. You have this heartbreaking loss on the road. Your quarterback goes down. You have a game against Illinois out of a bye week that you should win easily. And if you lose that game, you're probably not focused enough on that game. And that's not the whole one and no thing. So this is like, this is a larger issue than, than just this. But like, I think the, how do I want to put this? I think excuses are continuing to be made. Um, some within reason, right? Excuses aren't always like just just that, right? Like they're not they're not just blaming fault for someone else. Sometimes that stuff is real. The the injury to Clifford being bad against Illinois seems like that was real, right? It seems like that was not an excuse. That was, or, or it may have been an excuse, but it was within reason. Some of the stuff that gets said, I think, is is sort of not within reason. And so you you look at a team that that's five and three that is looking at at best nine and three, probably eight and four at best because of the the opponents coming up. And you wonder sort of what the ceiling is and where things go next for for the program as a whole wonder, James Franklin. Like, if yes, they have a top recruiting class, that ranking is going to drop as more teams get get commits because of the sheer number of commits Penn State has. And then what do you have left? Another top 10 to 15 class? And is that really enough? Yeah, no, I mean, that's definitely true. And I think the more you lose, you have to, you have to win to get those kids to stay in that recruiting class. And if they cannot win, if they cannot pick up more wins against – you know, team one, you should you had no business losing to Illinois. They had no business losing. No, it's, it's the worst team in the Big Ten. Yes, and they that that's that's mistake number one. Now, the way to that you had, I mean, you could have rectified the whole season. I mean, if you lose to Iowa, fine with the situation at hand. If you lose to Ohio State, fine with the situation at hand. But Illinois is inexcusable. That should have been a, a surefire when Penn State should have been bowl eligible today at this point. Um, you know, and I, I think that the fact that they're sitting after these games uh, not not bowl eligible, I mean, that that's not good. That's not good that you want bowl eligible by the ninth. I mean, by the eighth game of the season for them coming into this game. Or I guess coming into the season, I thought they'd be bowl eligible by now. I thought. You know, maybe they I thought for sure I was like Iowa and and, you know, Ohio State. It was either Iowa or Wisconsin that they will lose to. And then plus Ohio State. And then the fact that they're not, you know, you lose to Illinois, a team that isn't better, isn't more talented than you, you know, and the fact that they were just they knew what was coming. That was the other thing that was inexcusable. You knew what was coming. You still couldn't stop it. That's that can't happen. Yeah, and, and like, listen, I thought there was a chance that they might be five and three at this point in the year, but I sure didn't think it was going to be because of a loss to Illinois. You know, I, I thought they they could have lost uh, potentially Wisconsin, Auburn, Ohio, uh, Ohio State, um, Indiana, even Iowa. But but the, the way it happened, I think, is the issue, right? Because we talk about expectations. I expect them to be nine and three. They have a chance to be nine and three. And even if they go eight and four, it's not that much of a loss of expectations. But it's when, when you beat an Auburn team that is seemingly beating everyone right now, when you beat a really good Wisconsin team that I, I know the the record might indicate otherwise, but that defense is still one of the best in the country. When you go toe to toe with Iowa in Kinnick Stadium and only lose because of your quarterback, 
and you still end up where they're at right now at five and three because of a loss to Illinois. Like, and I know we're harping on something that happened last week, but I think, I think the reason to harp on it is because what we saw against Ohio State proves that it wasn't the real thing, right? If if that game against Illinois was who Penn State really was, then then okay. Like if if they no show against Ohio State, then maybe this team just isn't good enough. But it's so clear that they just weren't ready to go, and that's inexcusable for a lot of reasons. Um, that that I think this is this is a problem for Penn State, and I think moving forward that they, you know, this this Ohio State loss indicates a lot of things. Like I said, it indicates that the Illinois game was uh, was a blip on the radar, but it happened because of Penn State because they didn't show up. Um, that that they still can't compete with Ohio State, and this might be Ohio State's quote unquote down year, right? Like where they, where they only win ten games or whatever, uh, where they just have the best offense in the country and and a mediocre defense. Uh, that that sort of has has gone, you know, that slid past by a lot of people too. That Ohio State's defense isn't that good, so Penn State being able to score isn't the most surprising thing in the world. I just think, I would say at this point, we may have hit a turning point with Penn State football and. We'll see where it goes from here. They could they could win these last four and go nine and three and, and turn everything around and meet those exact you know uh, prognostications, mine included. Or things could continue to get ugly. Uh, I think they're more likely to win those nine games, but I do think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks is more ind- uh, indicative of who this program is nationally than anything else we've seen this season. Yeah, and I mean that. I think I think a lot of people that are you know, Penn State fans, Penn State homers and things like that. I think a lot of people have had, to be fair, I think unrealistic expectations of this program, especially, you know, hearing some people say, well, when I I mean, a lot of people were like, well, when when Paterno was here, they were they were this, you know, great team for years and years and years. And then you think about it and it's like, they only won two national championships during that time. And I understand national championships are the hardest thing to do in college football. Well, and to be fair, that number probably should be three. Yes. Right, because 1994, they should have won the national title. Um, but, yeah, no, your point stands. Yeah. And I, I think that the thing is they haven't been that program in over my whole lifetime. They have not been that program your whole lifetime. They have not been that program definitely since Noah's lifetime. So, I mean, that's just – it it just doesn't make it doesn't make much sense for all these people to sit here and kid themselves. You're not all the people that I mean that think that Penn State just is immediately going to be this, you know, they're going to be this powerhouse program tomorrow, you know, next year, the year after that. I mean, to be fair, you have to build those things. You have to, and I don't, I don't think, I really don't think that this is, I don't think this is their ceiling. But we have to be realistic about what the program can do at this point. And it's not they're not winning. Nas- I, I mean, at the beginning of the season, 10 and two. I mean, that's a that's a very good year to me. They had won 10 games. I think people should be impressed. But, you know, had a lot of Penn State fans will tell you we're not we're not satisfied with two with 10 games. We're not satisfied with just winning the Big Ten. We want to win the whole thing. And I'm like, how many times have you guys won the Big Ten since Franklin's gotten here? How many times did you win the Big Ten when Paterno was here in the 2000s? You know, like, where I, I don't get the whole, you know, the idea. I don't get that idea that you can build a a perennial power overnight. And I think too many Penn State fans have kidded. They've kidded themselves for a long time that it's just going to happen overnight. 
And I, I think that's being fair to the program. And I'm not I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus, but I think you have to be honest with yourselves about this program and stop. S- please stop telling me that if if Joe Paterno was was there, it it would be any different because it wasn't then. It wasn't then, and it's not going to be now. So I I think the greater issue, and, and you're right about the expectations, is that it's been seven years. Right, James Franklin has had seven years to build. This that's not building overnight. At some point, right? That is, you've had time to build, and this is what you've built. Now, those first two years, if you want to throw them out, I think that's plenty fair. Uh, I, I think because of the sanctions, it, it was nearly impossible to build a program. Uh, you know, it, it's almost two lost years, right? You just have to start working ahead to recruiting classes that are, that are going to be more normalized than than the ones you started with. Um, that being said, if you want to cut those two years out. It's still been five years, right? Like everyone on this roster is, or is someone Penn State uh, recruited when James Franklin was the head coach. This probably is just who they are. They're just a 9 to 11 win team every year, which is good, uh, you know, winning 9 to 11 games. But like it is, it is not a national title contender. It's not Alabama. It's not Clemson. It's not LSU. It's not Georgia. Like it's not a team that's going to perennially finish in the top five. I think the realistic expectations for this team as they've said this year, are this is a top 15 program in the country that routinely finishes in the top 15 of the country and every once in a while has a chance to sneak into the top, you know, five to eight and like and probably finishes higher than that because they usually win their bowl game and, you know, because they're good enough to do that. I just think that until they're able to stack recruiting classes together and top five recruiting classes together, they're, they're not going to meet the sort of unrealistic expectations you're talking about and – you know, that, that that hasn't happened yet under Franklin. Um, like I said, this incoming recruiting class is really good. It's not going to matter as much if the 2023 recruiting class isn't on that same level because then, again, you have one good class and then one great class and then one good class, and, and you end up just having a team that's somewhere between good and great that isn't good enough to contend for a title. That being said, I think it's possible to win national titles here. It's been done before. Um, I just don't know that it's possible to be the perennial contender that – that, that I think a lot of people envision this program as. Um, and I think the game against Ohio State put a lot of that into perspective for me anyways, from the outside looking in, uh, that that they, for whatever reason, uh, you know, year after year seem to to kind of, I don't know, saying they blow it is, seems unfair, but like mess up an opportunity that they have, right? Like beating Illinois would have given them some momentum heading into Ohio State and then maybe – more is on the line and the game matters a little more and you know butterfly effect maybe one outcome changes and it changes everything but like instead they're five and three right like the bowl eligibility thing is 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 fine and all because they're gonna end up going to a bowl game and they'll they'll probably win seven or eight games at least but like it's it gets back to the broader point of this is not a perennial power this is a good football program potentially a great football program but i don't know that it'll ever be an elite football program um, and that just kind of is what it is at this point. And I think I think Penn State can be a great football program perennially. I do, but I also think too, like it's certain things that they need to, like you said, with recruiting. I think if you continue, I mean, you also have to win the recruit. Well, we all know that. I mean, you can't just win. You can't blow game. If if Penn State have gone on the road and upset Ohio State, how many people are talking about it? You know, how many people are saying, oh, yeah, well, I got to go to Penn State now. This is a school that I'm really because they went and 
you know, beat Ohio State at the horseshoe. Had that happen, they that still changed. talk about that blocked, you know, field yeah. goal. Grant Haley will score. They, like that, that they they show that in front of every game. Listen, as someone that that was a student at the time and was there for that game, it was a great moment. But again, that's five years ago. Yeah, yeah. that is that is the moment that Penn State. That, uh, sort of has to point to right because that was like that was the turning point for the program when it started to become the ten win team again. But like, and listen, a couple of years ago, James Franklin gave the the great to elite speech that I think upset quite a few people. Uh, I don't know that he was off base. You know, I think a lot of what he said still rings true about this is a great program, good to great program, but they're not elite yet. And frankly, I don't know what it takes to get to elite. Uh, but what they're at now doesn't seem to be it. Um, and, it, you know, it, it. I'll be curious to see how the next few weeks play out, you know, the, the next month, whatever plays out. How much of this, you know, uh, how much of this continues to be an issue next year and into years beyond, I think, is a conversation for another day. Um, but I think a lot of a lot of the, the 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 points that I took from the Ohio State game are broader and less to do with the game. But we can we can move on to Maryland because Penn State is playing Maryland this week on the road in College Park Saturday at 3.30 p.m., which makes that a day trip, which makes it much easier for us, I will say. Um, Kyle, you're from Maryland, of course. What what are your expectations for this game, and, and how do you think Penn State can kind of uh, – like uh, listen, I think they're going to break the three-game losing streak. I'm not going to go as far as I did right before Illinois because Noah wonderfully blasted <laughs> us on Twitter for that, but – uh, I do think that Penn State turns this around here. Or what are your expectations for the game? Yeah, I mean, my expectations of the game are that, you know, Maryland's going to do that thing that the student section does where they just throw the flag out there. I know that's Noah's favorite flag just in, in the entire world, like in the history of flags. The worst The Maryland flag, flag is the greatest flag of all time. You got ratioed. You tried to ratio me on Twitter talking was, about the Maryland flag, and I ended up getting more likes on my tweet that's than because, you got on your ratio. That's because so people think, from listen, Seattle listen, and Washington listen, State don't understand that Maryland has the greatest flag listen, of all time. Listen, Crabs are better than the, lobster. That's not true. But That is very the, true. The secondhand embarrassment I had to feel while watching Kyle – Try to drag us on Twitter. And just getting Literally in, everybody in agreed turn. with me. Everybody. Four people from Maryland? Is that everyone? <laughs> well, it was a guy. So <laughs> we, I got, we, I got, we can discuss this after the but, podcast. We can discuss I mean, this after the okay, podcast. But, but the point still stands that if you look at the ratio, it isn't no one I's Oh, my goodness. Uh, oh, my goodness. Facts are facts. Uh, but anyways, Maryland, what are your expectations for the game? I mean, we all know that Talia Tungavailoa um, is a – very talented quarterback. Uh, I think he's one of the guys that Penn State has to key in on. Um, Rakeem Jarrett is, I mean, he's he's a great talent. It's as simple as that. Maryland has some very talented players on their team. I think that, you know, they, as Rashid Walker said earlier, um, he said that Penn State poaches a lot of guys from Maryland, and there's a reason for that. Like, if you look at the guys that are left over, on that UMD team that has, you know, a lot of those kids are from Maryland State and State. Even the guys that haven't been in State, like even Talia, uh, I mean, they have a talented team. It's just that, you know, the Big Ten's the Big Ten. If, if Maryland was in the ACC, they'd probably be a nine-win game, a team, you know. And I, and I truly believe that because of the talent that's on that team. However, 
you know, they're not in the ACC. They play in the Big Ten, and the Big Ten's a gauntlet. We all know that. And the Big Ten's going to smoke you every week, especially when, you know, you're playing against teams like Ohio State, playing against Michigan State, playing against Iowa. I mean, Iowa ran it up on Maryland at their home field. And, you know, if we go by transitive property, Penn State should be able to to beat Maryland. But that's not how football works because we all know Maryland beat Illinois. That's right. And, uh, you know, Penn State did not beat Illinois. So we don't know what will happen. However, what I think will happen is that Penn State's defense is incredibly strong. Their offense is played – they played – fine against Ohio State and I think Penn State I think Ohio State's defense as bad as they are in comparison to other Ohio State defenses in the past I think that they're still better than that Maryland defense talent wise um and I think that Maryland's defense is still you know they're young they're still getting they're still getting better they're still adding recruiting classes I just don't think that they have the type of you know I don't think they have the they maybe Maryland, maybe Penn State could even get the run game going. Possibly, uh, I don't I, think that's come happening. On now. We're, we're we're eight games into the year. There's <laughs> there's no way Penn State's getting the run game going. And that being said, I'm sure Noah will be tweeting out that quote in about a week with my face plastered next to it. But anyways, uh, I generally agree. Right, Penn State's just more talented. Um, they've been able to stack better classes than Maryland has, although neither's done it sort of consistently. Uh, Maryland has a lot of skill position talent. Uh, Rakim Jarrett is like uh, is one of the top. This is always so tough when you talk about the Big Ten because you think about the actual wideouts in the conference. But he's probably like a top six or seven wideout because um, I mean you look at the three wide receivers at Ohio State: David Bell, Jahan Dotson. Like, there's a bunch of really good receivers, so that's not a knock on him. Um, I do think that their offense is pretty inconsistent. Uh, Tungo Vailoa especially is really inconsistent. If he has a good game, Maryland has a chance. But you kind of just never know which version of Talia you're going to get. And so if the good version plays, Maryland has a chance. If the bad one does, I don't think they have much of a chance, much of a chance against a really good Penn State defense that showed it against the best offense in the country this past weekend. Um, that being said, the the Maryland defense shouldn't frighten Penn State. Penn State should be able to score. Uh, they they should be able to to move the ball relatively well. Uh, the the screen game should work out relatively well for them. Uh, you know, I I just don't see a Maryland team that can sort of stack up against Penn State right now, unless Penn State no shows like it did against Illinois. And if that's the case, they will lose. Uh, but but I don't I don't think that's going to be the outcome we're looking at here. I mean, this is also let's let's be fair. This is Penn State's other home game. Let's let's be completely honest. Everybody who travels to Maryland, I mean, if if Iowa can pack your stadium, Penn State's gonna. I mean, that's gonna look like it's gonna look like uh, Beaver Stadium South. And I think that Penn State will be able to feed off of that. Um, the fact that you know you're wearing all white, but it looks like a it's gonna look like a home game for them. So, I mean, they they need to use that to their advantage. They need to use the fact that. You know, they're they could probably drown out Maryland with crowd noise. <laughs> so, like, I mean, let, let's be completely fair. Like, Maryland doesn't have they don't have a home field advantage. They did two years ago. Yes, that, yeah, that happened la- two years ago when they had the blackout on Friday night. That was actually the first road game I covered here uh, for the Senate Daily Times. Yeah. But I think you're right, Penn State. It's not going to be as home fieldy as Beaver Stadium, but the noise isn't going to be a factor. I don't think. 
uh, which, you know, whoever drowns out who, it kind of doesn't matter once you're at this middle level of crowd noise. Uh, I do think like the the path to winning is through Jarrett and Tonga Bailoa for Maryland. Like it's it's got to be it. Fleet Davis is a good running back, but at the end of the day, it's those two guys that can make the plays. It's those two guys that can put the game on their shoulders and try to win a game for the Terps. Um, Dante Demas would be in that group if he didn't get hurt uh, in a pretty uh, rough injury to watch against Iowa. Uh, it was that was I believe October first or second that, that that happened. It was a Friday night game against the Hawkeyes uh, where he got hurt and his his season is over after that. Um, but yeah, I, I think this should be a win for Penn state. Um, I, I, you know, I, I am hesitant to declare it an outright victory to declare them one and oh again, as I did in the past. But, you know, this is, this is the kind of game that you have to win if you want to get to the, to even to the eight wins, because this game and Rutgers are the easiest games the rest of the way. And at the end of the day, I do think Penn state wins this game. Yeah. And I think that Penn state, they, you know, I would say it would it would make sense to me if it was a if it was a thirty to twenty victory for Penn State. I won't I won't go too crazy this time. Um, I think that's a reasonable score. Um, I don't think it'll be I don't think it'll be a blowout because I think Maryland's offense is actually decent and they can put up some points. However, I think that Maryland's defense isn't strong enough to stop Penn State's offense through the air. Um, I think that's number one. The game, the running game, it, it's non-existent, so it doesn't even matter. We won't even talk about the running game. Um, so I, I think that as long as Penn State can pass the ball, um, which they could do against Ohio State, and I think that they'll do it even better against Maryland, um, especially with a healthy Clifford. And I think that was the biggest thing about the Illinois game was that Clifford was not healthy at all, um, and we could see it. But uh, I think now with a healthy Clifford and you're playing at Maryland, your second home, um, I think that they they went 30 to 20. That's my pick. Yeah, I went 31 uh, 21 for mine. A lot of ideas there are the same. Um, I, I do think uh, the like you said, the running game stuff is just sort of not relevant at this point. It's not how they're going to pick up yards and short yards or in. in you know, situations where they desperately need yards, like they're going to try to get it with screens. They're going to try to get it by getting quick decisions from Clifford. Um, but the, one final thing I wanted to touch on here before we close out, I also am curious to see how Penn State reacts to this game after what happened in last year's game. I believe the final of that game was 35-19. to 19. It was 35-7 to 7 going into the fourth quarter. Um, Maryland had dominated throughout. Uh, Jarrett had two touchdowns in the first quarter of the game. Um, they were able to get the the ball downfield to, to wide receivers. They got it to him in the middle of the field, and they were able to make plays after the catch. So I'll be curious to see, you know, how Penn State reacts to uh, to Maryland, right? If It's their added motivation here. You know, again, they say 1-0 every week, but I, I don't think that's reasonable to expect that to be the case, and I think that's been put on display in the last few weeks. But anyways, I think that covers everything for this game. So let's pivot away from football uh, for the first time seemingly since football season started. Um, and, and as we've said on the pod before, we will have more than just football on this podcast. It'll be about all Penn State athletics, including a Penn State men's basketball season that's coming up soon and a women's basketball season that's coming up soon. But for now, we want to talk about some Penn State men's soccer. Uh, Penn State men's soccer recently won the Big Ten championship for the regular season, going into the Big Ten tournament as the number one seed. And so to discuss Big Ten soccer and Penn State soccer, we are having on our local expert, our producer, Noah Reif. Noah, how you doing? I'm doing great. I'm very excited about this Big Ten championship, uh, you know, regular season win. First time 
since 2013. That's a pretty big deal. First time for Jeff Cook. The He's in his fourth year, so pretty big turnaround for the program, and I think it it's really indicative of the future of this program, too. And so I guess we can take this big picture first. How did Penn State get to this point under Jeff Cook when he came in? And for those you know of our, our listeners that aren't avid soccer fans, how did we get here sort of over the last four years of his tenure? Yeah, um, Jeff Cook came from the Philadelphia Union Academy, and he was a really great you know development coach there, and uh, brought that same style to Penn State. You know, he's been able to get a lot of great prospects out of the Philly area. People who are specifically in the Union Academy, people like Danny Blowyou, who is an incredible forward, super fast, very talented MLS talent. Honestly, you know, getting people to stay with his program because he knows how to transition them into Major League Soccer. So it's it's pretty impressive. Um, again, fourth year, and they have made the tournament. They have won the Big Ten now, and they are looking like they're on the the come up, honestly. And, and so you mentioned that, that Danny Blow used an MLS talent. How frequent of a thing is that for Penn State soccer, right? Penn State men's soccer specifically, getting guys that are potential professional talents. Yeah, um, it's it's not uncommon. The Big Ten is a is a pretty good soccer conference, but I would say it's usually one, maybe m- maybe two per season or per you know per class. Uh, so it's it's pretty impressive the talent that he's been able to bring out to a, a soccer school that's you know it it has a huge history of soccer here at Penn State, eleven national championships, but nothing in the recent, nothing in the recent. So yeah, it, it just seems like a big turnaround in the program and and for. For MLS talent, it seems like more is coming to college soccer, which is not a normal thing. Uh, A lot of these players will stick with their academies, like a Philadelphia Union Academy. But it seems because Jeff Cook, again, has those connections there, he's saying, hey, come get an education, come get, you know, good playing time, good minutes against other players who you are going to be competing against in Major League Soccer and Maybe we can win some stuff as well. Right. And, and, and so then let's, let's take a look at this team, right, and the, the broader overview of the current roster. You mentioned Danny Blowyou. Who are some other players people need to be on the lookout for as we head into the Big Ten tournament and as, as we head into postseason play in general? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. Brandon Hackenberg, for sure, who has already signed uh, an MLS deal. He's, he's a defender. and Very familiar name. Very familiar. Yes, that's the brother of Christian Hackenberg, former Penn State legend. Uh, at quarterback so yeah he's a great he's a great 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 player he's a redshirt senior plus so he's playing his COVID year this year uh, after he signed his professional contract so he is obviously an incredible talent who's Penn State's main competition when we look at the Big Ten tournament and how this how the bracket is set up and how this is going to play out I would say Penn State's main competition for the Big Ten tournament is going to be either Indiana or Maryland. Maryland took second place uh, in the Big Ten this year, Indiana third. They're both powerhouses in college soccer. Uh, Last year, Penn State was in the final of the Big Ten men's soccer tournament with Indiana, and they lost in overtime. I remember that. Uh, That was mid-pandemic, of course. I remember watching that match uh, because we were all watching sports as much as we can. I'm a big soccer fan personally, but... That was, uh, I think that was, that might have been actually the first college soccer game that I had watched. Yeah, it was a great game. It was a great showing. A lot of those same players are still on this roster. Uh, I think there's just a lot of talent on this roster, but, you know, Penn State's going to be facing Michigan State in the first round, the eighth seed. They're, they're fine. They're, they're not, they're nothing to, to be 
scared of, honestly. Uh, and then, you know, you go into the second round against either Michigan or Wisconsin, who is the four and five seed. And if they win that, they're going to most likely either be playing Maryland or Indiana, barring any upsets. So those those are the two that I would keep an eye out for. But again, they're not in their, you know, their half of the bracket. So they have a good chance of pushing forward to the final. Right. And anytime, you, you know, this applies to any sport. But, uh, you know, when you when you have three clear cut top teams like this. Being that one seed has so much increased importance because it means avoiding at least one of the other two. Uh, and obviously, Penn State's able to do that because, correct me if I'm wrong, they won on the final match day of the year, and Indiana defeated Maryland to allow Penn State to surpass Maryland or to main, either maintain or surpass Maryland uh, and allowed Penn State to get the one seed in the Big Ten tournament, correct? It was actually the opposite of that. So Penn State won. They won their match, and Maryland beat Indiana. Indiana was in first place with the same amount of wins as Penn State, they were tied, but because Indiana had the win over Penn State, obviously they would have won the Big Ten. Indiana, all they had to do was win. They lost 2-0 to Maryland, which again, like I said, Maryland is a good team. They are actually ranked higher than Indiana. They are, they're they're explosive. They're a great team, good goal scoring team. They're who I would be scared of, but yeah, so so Penn State, they got their business done and Indiana, they kind of just got unlucky with their last game of the season being their toughest opponent yeah i was gonna say that's a that's a tough way to end it right when you when you need all you need is a win and it's, oh by the way it's a team that's probably better than you anyways uh that you need to defeat but let's let's look at the big picture of this beyond just the big 10 tournament what what does penn state's outlook at ncas look like is a national championship a realistic outcome for penn state at this point you know to be honest i don't ever want to rule anything out i think soccer is one of those sports where you can get hot and you can go all the way and win something but i also don't really know if they have the depth and the talent to beat even a maryland when they're in that headspace it's just the the ncaa tournament is tough it's difficult i don't want to say never uh but i don't they're they're there may be a top 25 team, but I wouldn't say they're they're anywhere close to some of these other, you know, ACC teams or anything like that. Um, what I will say is the outlook is looking really great for the future. Like, you know, Jeff Cook is recruiting. He's bringing in really good transfers. People want to come and play at Penn State. And, you know, they want to play against teams like Indiana. They want to play against teams like Maryland. The Big Ten's a great soccer tournament, you know, a great soccer conference. And I but but honestly, I, I just don't I don't see them making it even to the final. But could they make it to the Elite Eight? I think that's that's definitely a possibility. And, and so then you sort of took the words out of my mouth with what I was going to ask you next about the outlook right, of this program. And and you mentioned that Jeff Cook has sort of gotten this on the right path moving forward. How realistic is it that this becomes a not necessarily a perennial contender, so to speak, as a national champion, but a team that consistently can win the Big Ten and consistently make it to the Elite Eight to to the finals? Yeah, I think I think obviously it comes down to recruiting. It comes down to how other teams in the Big Ten are recruiting. Uh, But I think that they, they have a good chance of being in that top three going forward. I mean, they're, they've shown that they have a good scheme. They've shown that they're resilient. You know, they, they had a very, very tough preseason. They did not do well. Lots of losses. Most of their losses came from their preseason and they jumped right into the regular season and kind of shook all that off. And, and, you know, there's something to say about that and and the mentality that this team has and that Jeff Cook 
preaches and the outlook looks good. The outlook looks really good. And as you know, even just as a Penn State soccer fan, you hope that that, you know, the history and all of this program can kind of be revitalized and they can be a powerhouse once again. Perfect. Uh, That'll do it for this segment and this week's episode of the Lions Lair. Thank you again to Noah for hopping on and joining us to discuss Penn State men's soccer. Uh, I am looking forward to watching the Big Ten tournament. Uh, I, I greatly enjoy soccer, as I said, and, and we'll be tuning in as much as I can to to every match that, that is on, I believe, usually the Big Ten Network. Big Ten Network. It's November 7th, first matchup against Michigan State. Perfect. Uh, if you want to find me and Kyle's work uh, and plenty of Noah's photography, you can find Noah a lot of places, but you can find some of his work at, at centerdaily.com where Kyle and I uh, where you can find our writing. Follow us on Twitter at Kyle J. Andrews underscore at John Sauber and at Noah Rife. And that's N-O-A-H-R-I-F-F-E. Thank you for tuning in and have a great day.